I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Wednesday, March 15th. I'm Desiree Frazier. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, show... More pushback from Jackson residents and community activists as HB 1020 inches toward conference. Then black women in Mississippi face much higher health risks during pregnancy. We examine the causes and factors with an expert. Plus, the state greenlights three new early learning collaboratives. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. We're saying that this is even more important to us than that flag, that you are taking away the rights of the citizens to participate in their government, and you're taking away the rights of the duly elected officials. It will not stand. It violates all of man's law, and it is a violation of God's law. Pushback continues against legislation that would shift the balance of power in Jackson. Yesterday, a coalition of civil rights activists gathered at the Capitol to speak out against House Bill 1020. The bill has gone through a number of revisions as it has made its way through the legislative process. But the core principle remained, giving the state more authority over matters in the capital city. Wendell Paris of the People's Minority Council says these legislative efforts can draw parallels that reach back to antebellum America. This legislation calls for a turning away, a really turning back uh, in the state of Mississippi, all the way back to the Dred Scott decision. There are no laws pertaining to the democratic process that the Mississippi legislature is bound to respect when you look at this racist legislation that is being offered. This legislation violates the, the spirit and the letter of the 1965 Voting Rights Act. The 1965 Voting Rights Act specifically expresses that you cannot eliminate or you cannot diminish the powers of black elected officials. Lawmakers are entering the final weeks of the legislative session. Due to the number of revisions, HB 1020 is slated for conference, where members of each chamber could draft a compromise. But Carol Blackman of Black Votes Matter says lawmakers should kill the bill. She talks to our Kobe Vance. I think it it takes away a lot of our dignity, number one. I think it 
it diminishes our ability to engage in democracy, number two. And I think that it's a power grab. Um, I think back to the grab for our airport. I think about the grab for our water. And I think that as we lose an ability to elect judges to have a say through our own votes about who represents us in the judicial system, that it's, uh, it's denying us our human rights. Yeah, at this point, both chambers have passed their own versions of this bill. Uh, they look wildly different, and the House is more focused on the judicial aspects of it, um, creating that inferior court. And then the Senate is looking at just a temporary measure, but continuing to expand the jurisdiction of Capitol Police. What are your thoughts on how those two are looking right now? Do you think that there's going to be a way for Jackson lawmakers to be involved in the conversations going forward as they, the two chambers have to come together to debate which one they want to pick? Um, I think that the two chambers are going to have to come together, that there's going to be um, a set of conferees from each one of the chambers. I think that those conferees should include representatives from the city of Jackson who speak for the people who elected them, who have input from the people who elected them. Because um, I used to lobby here in the state legislature. I used to work for the Mississippi Legislative Black Caucus. And my thoughts are that many elected officials speak on their own without input from their uh, electors. You know, as I think about the state, I've looked at different kinds of data about the fact that Jackson does not have the highest uh, rate of pending criminal cases. Um, I actually heard from uh, one of the professors or the director uh, at Ole Miss School of Law that Lee County actually holds that distinction. Um, I've read other data that demonstrates that um, per capita, Jackson does not have the highest crime rate in the state of Mississippi, that uh, that actually rests with some other places here in the state. So it makes you wonder why Jackson and its crime rate, its um, court backlog is actually being um, used as a political tool to push for um, legislation that is very harmful. And then lastly, I know your organization operates outside of just Mississippi. Y'all are across the southeast. Mm -hmm. What do you think this could mean for other major uh, majority black cities like Birmingham and Atlanta? Um, I think that they have their own trouble. I think that um, there are other places like um, that are outside of the Deep South, like St. Louis, like Detroit. Um, and I think Atlanta is dealing with the top-down, heavy-hand um, political changes in their own community, given the fact that um, we keep seeing changes there that, um, that help to diminish the ability to vote. So I think as we look across the country and we look to Washington, D.C., I think that Washington, D.C. has what is happening in Congress 
in Washington, D.C., particularly over the last um, six or so years, has actually given the green light or the whistle so that all of these kinds of things feel green-lighted to occur in communities and that it's okay. Carol Blackman is with Black Boats Matter. The deadline for conference reports is March 27th. Coming up, Black women in Mississippi face much higher health risks during pregnancy. We examine the causes and factors with an expert. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. Rates of maternal mortality in Mississippi far exceed the national average. And for a woman of color, the disparity is even higher. Aside from limited access to maternal care, preconditions and complications also contribute to the elevated health risk during pregnancy. Dr. Myrna Alexander-Nickens is a cardiology specialist, and she tells our Lacey Alexander underlying cardiovascular issues deeply impact members of her community. Sometimes women do not know that they have hypertension, and so that means that they may not have been to the doctor, but pregnancy takes them to the doctor, and they may find out that they are have hypertension during that time. The onset of hypertension is usually between the age of 20 to 55. That was our usual time. But now we're seeing hypertension develop much earlier, uh, as early as in the teens. So we are likely to see hypertension in 15-year-olds, uh, women, uh, boys and girls. And we are seeing that more in African Americans, uh, and that is likely due to their diet um, and uh, maybe also some socioeconomic reasons, but definitely the diet has something to do with it, as well as them inheriting their um, likelihood of having hypertension. So their parents, their grandparents uh, may have had hypertension, and then they also develop it um, because of uh, increase in salt load in their diets and there's an increase in weight as well with the African-Americans. So you start off with not knowing that you have hypertension. You go to the doctor when you're pregnant and then discover that you have hypertension. Now, some of these ladies may never have had hypertension and develop hypertension during pregnancy. So there's different reasons. Um, so you have a patient that may have never had it. Then you have a patient that does not have hypertension but develop it during pregnancy because pregnancy is a stressful, um, stress on the body, stressful um, condition just on the body in itself. So that can also uh, raise the blood pressure. What are the risks during pregnancy that having hypertension or blood, high blood pressure can cause? What can, how can that be problematic for the child or the mom? So in the event that the mother has hypertension, her risk for having preeclampsia, which is a condition whereby the blood pressure is high 
but it also affects other problems as well. So you you can have um, conditions in which the uh, kidneys start to spill a little bit of protein. Um, they can also develop problems um, called HELP, where there is a elevation of their um, liver enzymes, their low platelets, uh, and ultimately we are trying to prevent that person from having eclampsia, which is uh, hypertension with seizures. Um, and so preeclampsia it may be detrimental to the mom as well as the fetus. Um, so oftentimes the babies are born early, and when you're born early, that means that all the organs may not have developed properly. So you kind of giving that child not a good start with life when they have a low birth weight as well as um, their birthing early. What that means is that the mortality rate for women of color is higher. So this may be of um, women of African descent as well as Hispanics. Uh, they have a higher rate of hypertension compared to the white counterparts. Um, as a professional, how can food insecurity lead to not only this health problem, but other health problems during pregnancy? So if there is a lack of funding or lack of money, and then they're not knowing where their next um, food is going to come from, uh, oftentimes uh, that not having nutritional food can lead to and also lead to maybe eating the wrong stuff. So instead of eating nutritious food, they eat cheap food. So you can get um, cheaper foods, which are high in sodium all the time. And that, that insecurity in itself uh, has been linked with, so these are part of the socioeconomic problems that we see uh, as part of health disparities. So if they're not available to them or they have not uh, been able to go to the doctor, so that means they may not have insurance, or if they have insurance or they're working, they don't have time to uh, stop and take care of themselves, uh, I think is part of that food insecurities. But Gotcha. And what are treatment options for pregnant women with hypertension? Oh, I'm glad you asked that because we like to treat the women with medications that have hypertension. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier, if that person has hypertension, they need to be treated with medications prior to the pregnancy and certainly during pregnancy as well. We have found a lot of information with doing studies, uh, and one of that one of those uh, studies looked at women um, if they were treated early. So if the blood pressure is greater than 140 over 90, we uh, consider starting medication, and those medications should be guided by the physician. But we also would like them to decrease some of nutritional um, additives, such as sodium in our diets, which has been shown to decrease hypertension. So we urge the women to um, 
adhere to a low-sodium diet, uh, consider taking medications guided by their physicians, uh, but certainly taking their blood pressure often would help them know what their blood pressures are and uh, also their physicians. Uh, but, yeah, there's a lot of medications that, that we can use to get the blood pressures under control. Dr. Myrna Alexander-Nickens, thank you so much for taking time with us and chatting with us about this issue. Thank you so much, Lacey, for inviting me. Coming up, the state greenlights three new early learning collaboratives. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. A contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think, eh, maybe I'll try it myself. Some jobs just aren't that difficult, and yes, you can do it. If you want to find out how to do those things, listen to Fix It 101, podcast everywhere. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. The Mississippi Department of Education has announced an expansion of its Early Learning Collaborative Program. The program was established in 2013 and is expected to serve over 6,800 students this school year. With the extension, another 260 pre-K students and a total of 13 classrooms in three school districts will be served. Jill Dent is Director of Early Childhood Development at the Mississippi Department of Education, and she tells our Lacey Alexander how the early learning collaboratives continue to grow. Throughout the appropriation um, of the legislature, we um, have been um, going through some rotations of expanding this grant in the state um, to offer additional seats for the early learning collaboratives. Um, with the funding, the seat allocation is $2,500 per child um, in each collaborative. So, um, you know, depending on the number of children they're going to serve, um, they would take that number and um, multiply it times the number of children, and then that would be their operating budget for the program. Now, the other side of that is the matching component. So there is a one-to-one match. Um, that match could be either in-kind or real dollar match within the community. Um, and so they could utilize that to make up their whole budget for the program itself. I understand. So when these ELCs are implemented, are they just going to public schools? Are they serving private entities? What are some of the types of businesses or organizations that we can see benefiting from the ELCs? So either the uh, the lead partner of a collaborative either has to be a school district or a not-for-profit. And um, so you'll see those entities leading the program, but within the program, they also have to include a Head Start, as, and we really encourage them to partner with their child care entities within their community so that they can work together to make sure 
that the, the children moving into kindergarten are ready for kindergarten. And that's the results we see um, from this program because of the um, high quality expectations and um, guidance that we give um, these programs. And we do that through um, staff that we have on hand with um, our collaborative coordinators. We also offer coaching to these um, classrooms and the teachers within the classrooms, as well as the administrators of these entities. And so they work together in that community to make sure that the children are getting what they need and that they are kindergarten ready. So these counties that are uh, awarded the ELCs, they kind of have a lot of autonomy in who they give, what what programs they give the money to within their jurisdiction. Is that correct? So, yes, they this this grant is a ground up approach. Um, we give the parameters of who can apply and who the lead is, but it, within their community, they come together in the community to decide who's going to partner together and who's going to to be able to have classrooms um, with the grant and the program itself. So um, it's more of a community up approach, which is really good because the community, well, every community is different. So they can make the program fit the needs of their community best. And so that's what's so magical about this about this grant. It's not so prescriptive that they can't figure out what will work best for servicing the children and the needs of those children within that community. One of the three new school districts receiving funding for an early learning collaborative is Holly Springs. Eloise McClinton is executive director of the Communities Head Start. I feel the families, everybody wanting to play a part us rallying together to ensure that we want a learning community. We want our children to be eager to move forward and not held back. We want to be a, them to be able to have all of the learning skills that's, that's necessary, the social skills, and then even the uh, social-emotional part that's going on. And when we work with our families, and the school district and Head Start, we're all one big happy family. There cannot be nothing more than learning for the whole community and striving that everyone grows. The ELC program is designed to better prepare four-year-old students for kindergarten. Irene Turnage is superintendent of the Holly Springs School District. We've always worked well together. Um, you know, and, and everything. But this early learning collaborative really uh, gives us a partnership, a strong partnership, along with the Mississippi Department of Education, that's going to ensure that our four-year-olds are ready to learn when they get to school. And so, you know, we understand now that now more than ever, a lot of our children, their, their brains are growing more than we ever realized at this preschool age. So it's a really, really important time for us. We knew that. But more and more, the research is showing how important that time is for students uh, to be ready from even through their school career and life. Lee County School District and Ocean Spring School District will also be part of the ELC extension.
This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.